You're tuned in to the Comics Pals Podcast. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who've decided to record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. So, really quick, I just want to say thank you guys so much for all the positive feedback on the first episode. It's really appreciated. All the listens, all the likes, the shares on Facebook and YouTube. It's been really great. Uh, Keep it up. Uh, I'm sure all the guys will tell you momentarily how they feel about that. Uh, Speaking of the guys, let's introduce the pals, starting with Pete. Hi guys, I'm Pete. I'm one of the pals. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us on episode one. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the YouTube channel and share it with uh, like-minded comic pals who you think might enjoy the episode. Thanks for coming back. Oh, sorry. I have to like tell someone to go next. Kale. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll go. I'm a pal. Uh, My name's Kale. Thanks for being a pal. Phil, are you a pal? No, fuck all our listeners. Fuck everyone. Fuck this. Fuck you. I'm passing it off to Marco. Hi, I'm Marco. Well, that's all I gotta say. Bye. Uh, unfortunately, Marco could not be here with us this week, but that gives us a chance to introduce our first ever guest on the show. Woo! Yay! Say hi, everyone, Jess. Yo, yo! Please introduce yourself to the listeners at home. Hi, I'm Jess. <laughs> I am a comic book editor. I'm very excited to be one of the pals this week. Thank you for joining us. Only this week, though. <laughs> an honorary pal. I love it. An honorary pal. I like that. That's nice. This is more of an audition, really. Like, if you turn out to be better than Marco, <laughs> we might just ask you to come here. <laughs> just force Marco behind the scenes. It's like, you can keep editing the show, but. <laughs> We're going to mute your mic every week when you're on, okay? <laughs> so, Jess, you mentioned that you are a comic book editor, which is really exciting. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about your job and uh, what that entails and where you're working? So, yeah, I am a comic book editor. I work in London for Titan Comics, and I work on titles like Doctor Who, Doc Souls, Assassin's Creed, and some French stuff, which is very cool, but also a little weird. But who cares about what French people read? (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Crazy craziness. (laughs) No, no, we, we care about French people. We just don't care about what they read. I disagree. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Some of it's good. Some of it's crap. <laughs> Can you tell us about the best French comic you've read so far? Best French comic I've read. Out of what we do? Not really. But, uh, <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really like the Nicopole Trilogy by Enki Bilal. And it is a work of art. It's a beautiful kind of dystopian future Paris. And the artwork is just incredible. And it goes with it. And there's also Egyptian gods wow, in the fun. future. It's, I'd what's, really what's recommend it, it. It's it's a great book. The Nicopole Trilogy. Could you, could you spell that for us, for our listeners? Yeah. N-I-K-O-P-O-L. Thank you. Um, that sounds awesome. It's a lot of fun. It's very busy. I do basically everything in my job from script editing, commissioning artists, commissioning writers, um, some art corrections, putting it all together, and kind of previously on pages, all sort of editorial things. So you do all the all the really thankless work that makes a comic happen, but nobody really gives you any credit for it. 
basically, yes. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but I wouldn't have it any other way. I love what I do. I love being behind the well, scenes. thank God for people like you. Yeah, exactly. My question is, do you like comic books? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. I'm not a fan. Why am I here? <laughs> All right, you're going to fit right in. Yeah, Jess, I actually wanted to ask, um, what is your favorite book that you're working on right now? You mentioned a couple couple pretty cool properties that you're working with. Are, like, are you a fan of any of those properties before you started working on them? Or are there any books that like stick out? Yeah, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. So for me, working on it is just the dream. I actually got to go to Cardiff where they film it. And I went in the real life TARDIS. Whoa. And I got to fly it. That's so cool. It's incredible. That's awesome. It's really, really cool. Did they make a phone call while you were in there? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. So, Jess, what would you say is is kind of the most difficult part of your job? Most difficult part, because I work in licensed publishing, is what the licensors want. So with Doctor Who, you've got BBC, who are okay mostly. They're just like, yeah, you do great stuff. It's fine. However, I've also worked on Tortured, and John Barrowman asked for every page to be redrawn. Wow. Because it didn't look like what he wanted himself to look look like. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun. (laughs) So it just really varies between who owns the property and how demanding they can be. Sometimes they can be awful. Sometimes they can be great. And it's really difficult to find that balance of what you think they want for then the whole issue to come back and be like, I hate it. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Try again, nerds. (laughs) So it's it's an interesting game, licensed stuff, but you know, you take what you can get. I mean, it's got to be really cool to get to work so closely with some of those people. I mean, even though it sounds like uh, John Barrowman was kind of a bit of a diva there, it's got to be awesome being a fan of the show to kind of get to... Did did you... Oh, yeah. yeah. Did you actually get to meet him? He came into the office, yeah. Wow. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. He had a crowd of fans (laughs) outside the office who'd obviously like seen on Twitter that he where he's gonna be and we just sort of walked out and there's this huge crowd of people with John Barron's sign. Just a bunch of people dressed up like Doctor Who. Yeah. It was crazy. And it's funny because I was one of those people. And now I do that. It's my job. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's it's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's that's so cool. It is, it really is. Um and also you've got kind of Penny Dreadful were the script writers for the show have also written the comic. Oh, that's cool. So there's a lot of tying into the world. And it does... So some comics, a lot of people are like, just make an extra story. We don't care. Where some of them is in the canon of the show. Right. Or the movie or the game or whatever. And they're really excited about it. And they want to make extra stuff for the fans. So yeah, it's, it's a nice kind of area to be in. And you know, Jess, it must be really fun to sort of work on properties that you're a fan of. And then because you're working on them, you get this sort of different insight. Yeah, exactly. And Doctor Who, you know, the amount I know about it before is nothing compared to what I know now. <laughs> right, right. Because I actually get to read the scripts before they are. Wow. That's so so that we don't 
do anything in the comics that they're doing in the show and stuff and we don't have cross wires. Can you share a secret with us? I have to sign all official secrets, Zach. Yeah, you wouldn't want to get her. (laughs) Hey, man, I just look for the exclusive. I know, I, I respect it. The journalist in you has to try, but you're going to get like, her NDA is going to get all messed up. She's going to get a hoovy and coming through the, you know, coming through a real life TARDIS to come and like break her legs. Well, I can say one thing. The Doctor died. Oh, no. <laughs> I actually don't watch Doctor Who, so I don't know if that's a big spoiler or not. Yeah, I don't believe it. Uh, <laughs> well, like, the, whole, the whole thing with, with the Doctor is like, you know how there's like a bunch of different actors that play the Doctor and they, each of them have a number? Right. Well, it's like every time that there's a new Doctor, it's like, I don't know. I don't like watch Doctor Who, so I don't like know the lore explana- explanation, but it's like he has some kind of biological like resetting where like that's why he's a new actor. Ah. So it's like he does die, but he also doesn't. Was that close, Jess? Did, did I offend you as a Whovian? Cool regeneration. Yeah, that's pretty much it, yeah. <laughs> How closely do you work with the writers of these books? The writers of the comic books? Yeah. Oh, yeah, a lot. So our writers, we do give a lot of freedom to. But there'll be an initial meeting where we talk about the plot for the whole year and what's going to happen and the different kind of beats that we need to hit. But after that, for individual scripts, they'll write the script We'll edit any bits out or put any bits in, but they do generally have free reign. We only make suggestions. And sometimes the licensor will come in and say, no, you can't do that with this character. They're going to die in the show next week, (laughs) so you can't have them. (laughs) Which is quite interesting. Like, right, okay, I'll rewrite that. Assassin's Creed is an interesting one, actually, because we're doing a movie tie-in. So they've changed the script for that quite a few times and changed their mind about what our story can be oh, about. Oh, jeez. That must be fun. Yeah, so we're like, right, okay, scrap all that then. Wow. Have you ever like run into an issue where they get so in the way of the creative process that like you see the comics suffer? Yes, but I can't really specify because we still work with these guys. No, so- totally understand. But yeah, it is a big problem. And as comics people, we know what's going to work. Right. And they're like, no, 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 no. You can't do that with this character. This character needs to do this. And you're just like, oh, okay. It's the, yeah, it's the difference between like the creatives and the suits. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate when that, when that kind of happens. But I, uh, I imagine that that's a pretty serious problem with like all, um, adaptive comics like that, you know, where it's like you're working with an established property like that. You know, like, there are obviously going to be a lot of people with um, hands in that pot, so to speak, that have things to say about what you can and can't do. Yeah. I imagine that must be pretty frustrating for the creators, too. Like, for the people writing yeah. the comic when it's like, you already, you know, you already have this story already plotted and kind of ready to go. And then it's like, oh, by the way, you have to change everything. Sorry. Yeah. In the past, we have had writers quit. Mm, because wow. Of it. wow. It's only happened once or twice, but it has happened. Because they're just like, well, I can't do what I want, so it's not going to work. Yeah, I can imagine that'd be really frustrating. I, uh, I, I can't imagine being like excited to, you know, you like wrote this story that you're like ready to go on, you're proud of, and then it's like, oh, hey, got the whole thing with a machete and start over, and it's like, ah, it's like it'll be hard to find the motivation to do that. It's the same for artists too. Oh yeah, so yeah. I bet. Oh my god, when, that's probably even worse. <laughs> yeah. So when we're picking an artist. 
they have to do a couple of sample of pages um, to get likenesses, to get the feel of the world, and the licensor can turn around and say, absolutely wow. not. <laughs> yeah, so you can have artists who'll really want to do it, but the licensor will just say no. That can't feel good. Which is a shame. Yeah, no, that can't feel good. It's really interesting, though. It seems like very... Um like vaguely reminiscent of like the film industry you know like the idea of like trying to like stick um it reminds me of like the whole like back and forth i remember there being when they were like trying to pick a spider-man and it's like oh like we want this guy but we want this guy and it's like well we don't think he's representative of you know whatever in the right way that's gotta just be so annoying like a comic created by committee in that way i i interviewed greg rucka uh, who wrote some of the tie-ins for star wars the star wars comic books yeah and, uh, I mean, he's dealing with two tiers of people kind of telling him what he can and cannot do between Marvel, who have their own agenda, and uh, Star Wars, or rather Disney, who have their agenda. And one of the things that he said was he came up with ideas uh, months and months in advance that they ended up – that they accepted and then rejected at the last minute. So in order for him to be able to get the comic out on time, he had to very quickly sort of reimagine what his story was going to be, then wait for approval from Disney, and then get to work on it. So it's a very difficult process, I can imagine. Uh, but I would, but I would also imagine that as a fan of these works, when you do get to finally put that book out, it's got to be really gratifying. It really is, yeah. And. Um- it's funny you should mention Star Wars and stuff because we do work on that too. Oh. We do the magazine and we have very similar problems. Right. But it's it's the same with most licenses. They can turn around at last minute and say, absolutely not. And you've got a week to print it. <sighs> so it is crazy. But when it comes out, you're just like, yes, <laughs> we did it finally. <laughs> it arrives to our office and we're just like, oh my God, Yes. It's here. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's really nice to see it and get the physical copy. So I'm really fascinated by your your role as an editor. Uh, wh- when you're working with writers, what's what would you say is probably the biggest thing that a writer could do to make your job easier? The biggest thing I would say is to condense as much as possible. There is always options for adding stuff in but it's a lot more difficult to cut it out. So our miniseries work in kind of four-issue arcs. Any more than that, you're going to lose some of your story that you desperately want to tell. So make it shorter first, and then you can always add stuff in. So I would say condense is the best thing a writer can do. Besides just going ahead and lighting it on fire in the first place, just so <laughs> yeah. you don't have to save your own Yeah, conscience. exactly. <laughs> You know, I start crying at the shredder yeah. every day. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it really helps if a writer can just go ahead and do that yourself. Saves us time. Yeah, exactly. You get it. Do, do you have any interest yourself in writing? I do, yeah. I write myself. Um, not very often, unfortunately, because I'm just so busy <laughs> with editing other people's stuff. But, yeah, it's something I'm really interested in. Well, hopefully one of these days a a spot opens up in your schedule where you can uh, push out one of your own books. Can I ask a fun question? Go for it. So can you just give us right now for us and the uh, the, the pals at home like an elevator pitch of, of like one of your comics? 
Like if you if you had just like right now, Titan was like unlimited budget. You can put whoever you want on the book. What do you? What's what's the book you make? All right, what's that elevator pitch? We're gonna scrutinize the crap out of it. Don't listen to him, Jess. Phil's just the heel, a big one. I am the heel. I love I love how he's silent, silent through that whole interview portion. Comes in just to derail my question, right? <laughs> <laughs> right as you're about to answer. <laughs> one story I did do a bit of work on while I was in my master's course, actually, was about a space taxi. And it's basically a taxi between life and death, but it takes place through space. Oh, I like wow. it. All yeah. right, four or five. It needs a lot of work. <laughs> what, like, so is that like, uh, like, you're talking about like a four to six issue miniseries? Is this an ongoing title about the adventures of the space taxi? I think it would have to be a limited story. Yeah. Because otherwise you could just keep going forever. Yeah. It seemed to me when I when I read it, uh, we were in the same master's program for the loyal pals at home. Uh, we, uh, I thought it could be like a like an anthology, sort of a Twilight Zone thing. Yeah, that'd be exactly. cool if you do like little vignettes of it. You know, like yeah, just put one out yeah, like every totally. couple of years or something like that, and it's like, oh look, here's another another person's journey or something like yeah. that. Yeah, exactly, because it kind of takes you back through your life. Almost as kind of like a purgatory thing. Ah. And the taxi is how you talk it all out and you get to decide where your final destination is. Huh. So it'd be really interesting to see different artists take on that and how they would see that world. Oh, yeah. That would be really cool. You could do like a different interpretation of the afterlife with every issue. Or not every yeah, issue, exactly. but maybe like every, uh, you know, specific storyline or whatever. Yeah. However you exactly. choose to do And it, it could even be... Each artist is a five-pager. Yeah. Because the concept is big enough that you can narrow it down, if you see what I mean. Oh, totally. Especially, like, um, like if you're talking about the idea of it, like, showing you your whole life, like, you could have, like, each portion of someone's life be done by a different artist or something like that. So it's yeah. like childhood exactly. has this style, you know, their teenage years is another artist, whatever. Yeah, exactly. That'd be cool. I was just going to say, uh, so here's another get-to-know-you question. If there was a sandwich called the Jessica, what would be on it? Cheese. Because of all the puddings I make. <laughs> and also because cheese is delicious. <laughs> With sweet chili sauce. Because I look sweet, but I've got some fight in me. <laughs> <laughs> With kind of like a seedy bread. For crunchy. Cause, cause, <laughs> is that because you're crunchy or because you're seedy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what kind yes. of cheese, though, is on this sandwich? Smoky cheese. <laughs> this is a really well thought out, sa- thought out sandwich. I know, right? Kale, would you eat that sandwich? I don't know how good it would taste considering it's just <laughs> cheese and hot sauce, but <laughs> I, I need I Kale's like answer. answer. <laughs> I think, I think all of us know that I would eat that sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so, unless unless anyone has any other questions for Jess... Um, I'd, I'd like to close it out with just one more fun one. Sure, shoot. Uh, what is your favorite comic of all time, Jess? Favorite comic book of all time is... You're gonna laugh at me, but Tintin. Cool. Why would we laugh at you? Great stories, great art, just timeless. Asterix won, though. There was recently a debate at um, a comics festival in the UK, 
and they had an, a debate between Asterix and Tintin. Asterix won. What the hell? It won. Which is the worst comic? Like, which is the best? No. <laughs> yeah, no. Right. It was the wrong choice. <laughs> they got it wrong. I agree. Cool. Well, uh, thank you for talking to us and kind of giving us your history, Jess. Uh, I think it was really interesting for me personally to speak to an editor and kind of get your perspective on comics and the process of creating them, especially with licensors. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries at all. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. Anything you want to plug before we move on to the next segment? We currently have a Humble Bundle. Oh, awesome. It's running on Doctor Who and all proceeds go to charity. So if you ever going to read some Doctor Who, now is the time now. Cool. Also, if you're not already looking at Humble Bundle, you should be looking at it like every day because Humble Bundle yeah, is yeah. an amazing cause and it's will save you a yeah. shit ton of money on some dope art. So Jess is going to stick around for the rest of the show. She's going to do the regular show with us. Uh, we've got some good topics for you guys, so we're just going to move right along. And we're going to talk about what we've been reading lately. Uh, so... I'll just start off and say that I'm actually behind on my uh, on my books. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I've been busy, man. I've been busy, and I just haven't been able to get to the books that I'm dying to get to. But there's been a lot of stuff that's come out recently. I've got a stack of more comics than most of you can imagine, uh, just waiting to be read. When you're talking about stuff that I picked up at New York Comic Con and everything since then, it's just kind of snowballed. So I really just need to sit down and get to it all. But yeah. Anything uh, in particular you're looking forward to reading? Yes. Uh, so Civil Civil War. Uh, I'm an issue behind on that. Civil War Two. That is. Uh, so I'm dying to get to that. Um, gosh, uh, Spider Man: The Clone Conspiracy is happening right now, so I really want to check that out. Uh, Rick Remender just launched a new book, and I really, really can't wait to dive into that. Uh, Mark Millar. I believe, and uh, Greg Capullo just launched a book as well. So there's just a lot of a lot of stuff that I'm dying to get to, and uh, hopefully by next week I've gotten through it all, and I can give you guys my take on what the best releases of late have been. And then you'll be a week behind again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that tends to be how it goes. That's always that's always the struggle, right? How about you, Pete? Uh, for me, <laughs> I. <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you, Sean, but I feel like a, a specific, like, asshole just because not only am I behind on all my books that I'm, like, dying to catch up on, the, like, I did read a decent amount of comics this week, but I just decided to reread Scott Pilgrim, <laughs> which I'm not, like, upset that I did it. I'm, like, really happy. It was really enjoyable to reread the book, and I made the observation while I was reading it that the first time I read the book, I was uh, the same age as Knives is, and the second time I'm reading it, I'm the same age as Scott is in the book. So I was like, oh, that feels like an appropriate time to revisit this this comic. And um, it's interesting. I definitely got a lot out of it the second time around that um, didn't quite resonate with me the first time. You know, I think I was like really into the book as a kid as kind of like, um, like a, a love story for like our generation, I guess. And there was like a lot of meditation on like growing up and on like finding your place in the world and realizing um, how to kind of like be a a bigger person that I don't think um, quite stuck with me as much when I was when I was a kid and read it. So I was glad I went back to it. That's about it for me, though. I got to say, I just want to chime in really quick and say that it's cool how and this is true of all forms of entertainment, not just comics. But when you revisit these things years later, 
how your perspective changes and how you can appreciate it on sort of a different level than each time you reread it in the past, uh, especially with books that are meant to hit you on that kind of level like Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, I totally agree, man. I think it's so interesting um, how like to take it back to like what we were just talking about, you know, um, with Tintin, like honestly, like how work can grow with you as a person. And like how, um, not that, you know, obviously the work doesn't change, but how your relationship to it changes over the years is really, uh, it's interesting. I think Phil's brought that up a lot with um, All-Star Superman, you know, where it's like, there are just like kind of these touchstones that you come back to again and again. It's funny, it's actually making me think of like a couple comics I'd like to go back and reread, like ones that are all-time favorites that I read when I was a lot younger. Um, I'm thinking about jumping back into Why the Last Man and like trying to reread the entirety of Calvin and Hobbes again. I gotta do the Why the Last Man thing too. I have uh, an omnibus sitting on my desk that I gotta jump. Oh, into. did they finally put out like the full thing in a book? It's it's uh, broken up into halves, I believe. I okay, think. yeah. I have like the individual volumes, like one through five or six, whatever it is. Some books are too long to have one single book. So even when they release it in an omnibus or absolute edition, they still have to break it up in like two or three editions sometimes. Yeah, I mean that book is pretty pretty hefty. I always wanted to get that uh, amazing Spider-Man omnibus that they have. It's like issues like one to five hundred, and it's like literally just like like this thick. It's like fucking ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so Jess, do you want to tell us what you've been reading lately? At the moment, I'm behind too, <laughs> like you guys. Killing it, guys! We're killing it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're doing great on this. What I recently read is a couple of trades. I read Princess Leia, which is amazing. I love it. It's great. Um, they really nail Leia's character and the bit that we can't see in Star Wars because she's kind of eclipsed. That's uh, Mark Wade and Terry Dodson. Yeah, right? Marvel's latest. So I'm really enjoying... Sorry, guys. For all of us listeners, we are just seeing the omnibus. Phil held Yeah, Phil just pulled out the hugest Doom Patrol omnibus. And man, you could take about... 12 people with that? Oh, God, he is. <laughs> Phil, no, put it down. You could kill the whole Doom Patrol with that thing. <laughs> they are the strangest superheroes. I'm just bludgeoning everyone with this massive omnibus. Uh, so anything anything else on your list lately, Jess? Um, lately, I have been reading Spider-Woman, which is really nice, too. I, at first, wasn't on board with the whole pregnancy thing because I was like, oh, they're probably going to handle it badly. But they're now showing her as a superhero single mom, and it's great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really nice to see. She she had the kid, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's about six months old now. Yeah, I remember hearing a lot of really positive buzz about that, where a lot of people basically who shared your concerns and were like, I am pleasantly surprised that this is so good. That's my feeling. I was just like, I'm surprised. It's nice. Um, And Sean, to go back to Civil War, the latest issue wasn't that great. No. <laughs> Bummer. I am sad that it's just Civil War again. Yeah, that was my thing. With, like, changing the characters slightly around, yeah. and you know what the end's gonna be. And then you know that it won't matter in, like, a few months afterwards. Yeah. Wow, that sounds exactly. like the original Civil War. I'm just gonna yeah. leave now. Exactly. Shots fired. I antagonize Sean into an argument. <laughs> but now it's the second time of reading it, it's even worse. Because you're just kind of like, I know where this is going. That's unfortunate. I was, like, really disappointed when they announced... I mean, like, I've, I think, said it on the show last week already, but, like, I really do not like events. 
I think events are like not not healthy for comic books and not healthy for a universe. I'm like, not that they should never happen, but like the idea that we need to have this big annual event every year that affects every single book. And like you said, to just like reuse Civil War again, it's like, ah, really? Well, I mean, it was evident why they did it, right? Yeah, totally. It's like it's a marketing thing. I get it. But like, why don't you why don't you just like re-release the first Civil War? Well, and what what's even worse for me is that they are releasing books that spoil the ending. Like, uh, they're, they're yeah. two issues from the end now, and they've already put out uh, a whole fleet of books that are after, that take place after the, the well, ending. So, this is a problem at the moment with Marvel, that they're running behind on certain series on their print schedule. So, things that should have happened before are already out to press. Because they've messed up all their deadlines. Wow. Yeah. And that's a common problem when you're talking about events. Yes. Big time. Yeah. So, uh, Jess, were you were you not a fan of the original Civil War? I enjoyed it, yeah. Um, it was nice for what it was. It was an event. I didn't read the whole of it. I didn't read every single character's, you know, kind of um, contribution to it. Like tie-in. Yeah. But I read the main event and it was enjoyable and it was nice. It was fine. Not amazing, but I still enjoyed it. And now Civil War 2, it's just like, you've already done this. <laughs> Come on. And also, I feel like the writing is a bit lazy in 2. Like, there's a lot of just splash pages where you're like, okay, you literally just wanted to draw them all together, but nothing's happening. <laughs> Bendis? Lazy writing? <laughs> in this book? Yeah. Oh, come on. Cut the guy some slack. He's stretched too thin. He has been for like the past 15 years. <laughs> like literally ever ever since Marvel now, basically. Bendis and Dan Slott are just like tied to their desks. Sleep that probably. <laughs> Dan Slott though is, is self-inflicted. Yeah. While it's happening to Bendis, Slott's just doing it to himself. Also, Dan Slott deserves it because he's a monster. Let's let's uh, let's save the Dan Slott stuff for a little bit later. <laughs> uh, Kale, why don't you quickly tell us what you're reading? Sure, I'm a trade wa- I'm a trade waiter, so I'm uh, uh, always behind. So, uh, but I do pick up uh, number ones that I I think I'm going to be interested in. Uh, so this week I read uh, the first Doom Patrol, and uh, Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. Uh, they sort of kick off. Gerard Way's writing that book, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, both of them. He's prime. He's the primary author on Doom Patrol, and then he's uh, he's uh, sort of a, a featured author on uh, Cape Carson. The one I'm pumped about is uh, Champions Number One. It's sort of uh, Marvel's new teenage team with uh, Kamala Khan and Miles Morales, uh, Nova. Uh, Viv, uh, the the little I think her name's Viv, Viv, Viv Vision, uh, and uh, the Amadeus Cho Hulk. Um, they get together, and um, it really feels like an old Teen Titans book. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like any any teenage book that Marvel has put out uh, recently at all. That's a really fun lineup too. It's a good team. Yeah, and and I think I think that's why it works so well is. This team, they've all already sort of worked together. And if you're, uh, for me, if you're at least, 
if you have just like a periphery knowledge of these characters, you know that they're connected and they already know each other. So they basically just go knock on each other's doors and get help, you know, ask each other to join. And then they go do something. Can Miles come out and play? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, that's, like, not to spoil it, but that's literally what happens with uh, Vision. That's really funny. They go they go knock on Vision's door and she's like, is, is Viv home? <laughs> like, and, then, and then they go do something. And then when they do something... They put out their statement, you know, uh, we, we, we're here to be heroes. We, we want to make the world a better place and we want to help, you know, and not just fight each other, which, uh, is, you know, part of what came out of civil war. And, and, and it's sort of the, the, the blanket thesis of this book and the fact that they get it out, uh, first, first issue, uh, to me, I, I think is, is really important, um, because we've got books like uh, Teen Titans that are just, you know, three-page vignettes of why the team is separated and now they're going to be brought together by Damien, who has a demon behind him, and oh no, but it's not exciting. Also, like, I think that's a, that's just, I don't know, for my money, that's a le- much less interesting motivation. You know, it's like, oh, this team's coming together because of this circumstance that's a deus ex machina, whereas, like, the team you're talking about is coming together because they're, like, if we come together and, like, form a team, you know, as, like, a reaction to this infighting that's been happening, like, maybe we can make a difference. Maybe we can be heroes. And it's, like, that's a great superhero story. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for this group of, like, young teenage heroes who are, like, still kind of, like, untested. That was sort of my uh, pick of the week. I really, really loved Champions number 1. Um, What's the name of the book? Champions what? Champions. Just Champions. Oh, it's just Champions? Okay. And then, uh, just to kind of round it all out, I read uh, Ant-Man, Nick Spencer's Ant-Man, Second Chance Man. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it was good. Cool. Sounds good. Uh, Phil, do you want to finish us off? Speaking of Brian O'Malley, I uh, just read Lost at Sea recently. Oh, I just read that too! And... uh, was heavy on the feels. <laughs> it's good, right? It's very weird. I liked it a lot. What made me think of it, because I forgot I had just read it kind of recently, was the conversation about reading Scott Pilgrim from when you were younger. And it just it felt very pertinent to feelings I've had in the past, you know? I don't know. It's hard to explain. But it was really solid. It's a very good coming-of-age story. Yeah, it's really wonderful. Um, and then I'm reading, uh, I'm rereading, rather, the Truth Arc of action comics by Puck from last summer, from the DCU line, where he loses powers and he punches a cop and stuff. Superman does that. Yeah, very... Not Greg Puck. I'm still reading Animal Man. I'm almost on that. Um, by Morrison. Where are you in that? Do you know? I just passed the part where he, uh... where he, um, meets Grant. So that's... I think that's in the third act of the book. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's the best... the best part. And, uh, so I'm almost done. And then uh, I have that massive Doom Patrol omnibus is sitting here. Uh, and this is so daunting. Every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, it's going to take forever to get through. But uh, I'll eventually get through it. Uh, Marco, what are you reading? I'm, I'm reading Swap Thing. All right, thanks, Marco. <laughs> <laughs> Glad Marco was able to chime in there. How funny, how funny would it be if Marco just like listened to this while he was editing and just recorded like his own response? Well, now that you bring it up, Pete, um, Phil is a heel. And 
You're right. I have been reading Swamp Thing. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I would listen to that, actually. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too disappointed. All right, so let's move into the news because there's quite a bit to talk about. Uh, one of the cool things that we learned this week is that the second season of Jessica Jones is going to be directed entirely by women. Uh, Jessica Jones season one on Netflix was something that I think probably we all enjoyed, all of us here on the Comics Pals, and uh, generally was well, well received by fans and critics alike, so the idea that it's getting a second season is a no-brainer, but uh, Melissa Rosenberg, who's the executive producer of the series, uh, recently let us know that... Uh, you know, we're going to get this really cool thing that's going to happen on the second season. Uh, she told Variety that she's going to have all female directors do the show. And this is her specific quote. Uh, she says, when I interview a writer, I'm less interested in what you've been doing professionally than I am in where you're from, what your parents do, what's your life experience, what are you bringing to the table personally? So she's trying to draw out um the woman's perspective on this character so that we can kind of get something that feels true to Jessica Jones, which I think uh, is going to make this season something really special. Uh, not that the first one wasn't. I think it totally was. But this is going to be special for different reasons. So what do you guys think about that? I think that news is really exciting. Um, <clears throat> I think to your point, uh, so we talked about this a little bit last week, but something I really liked about um, Luke Cage that was also true about Jessica Jones was that um, I like how fresh they feel. Like I like that they they feel like a different perspective on the idea of being a superhero as opposed to just being like another piece in this overall Marvel puzzle because there is an inherent kind of like – Luke Cage specifically like – I made the point in, I think, one of our Lost Pilot episodes, like, it feels very, like, black. It feels like a black show. It very much, I think, represents, um, you know, that – the culture of Harlem very well and all and all these things it nails very well. And I think Jessica Jones really kind of flirted with that a lot in its first season. But, you know, at the end of the day, Jessica Jones is still a story, you know, that was, like, written by a guy. You know, like, Brian Michael Bendis created Jessica Jones. And I think the idea of, like, trying to bring in uh, female auteurs to, like you said, kind of really nail that female perspective um, even better than they did in the first season would be, like, really exciting, I think. And, and, and needed. You know, it's like we need more. Um, that's the way I think that you're, you're going to achieve, like, true diversity in any medium is to, you know, bring in the people that are actually, like, creators that represent the person that you're trying to represent, you know? What a novel idea. Let women control a story about a woman. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think you're right. Like, the first series did nail a lot of it, but I'm really interested to see how women will take it on, but also different women from different backgrounds because you can't just narrow it down to one woman's perspective. You know, you have one episode written by a woman a season. No talk about different women, their different experiences. And let's not forget, it's a lot about heavy themes and abuse and how women are treated in general. So I'm really, really interested to see it and see different people's perspectives on it. And I just love it. I think 
I hate that at the moment, and I know we're going to talk about this in a bit, you know, the whole kind of feminism thing at the moment in comics, but I hate that whenever it's a woman thing, it's almost like a fuck you to the guys. When it should actually just be like, no, this is how it should be. This isn't, we're doing this to screw you over. This is how it should be. Yeah, it's sort of taken as a as a fuck you to the guys as opposed to, yeah. like, no, obviously this isn't how it's meant. Like, you, yeah. this is just something that needs to happen. It yeah. is, should be accepted as a, a gradual or, or an obvious uh, telling of story. Yeah, exactly. Like, the fact that this is positive news is great and everything. But it, it should A season be. directed by all women. Why should it be a big deal? It should be something that's happening. Right, yeah. It'll be nice when we get to the point where, like, that's not a talking point. Yeah, You know, exactly. where it's just yeah. like, oh, that makes sense. This is a story about women. Let women tell it. You know, like... Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. I think especially the fact that it's all female directors is really exciting to me, too, considering how little work there is for, like, female directors in general. You know, it's like, women definitely have a tougher time in Hollywood than, like, even in most creative industries. So, like... Especially when you're talking about, like, on top of it, it's comics, which is always kind of perceived as a boys club. So I think, like, this is really um, important, you know? And, like, for this to come out and uh, and really nail this will be something really special, I think. You want real diversity? <sighs> come to me when a show has all white male directors and writers. That'll be the day, am I right, folks? So another piece of news that's good but ties into something really bad is that the Mockingbird series... Uh, put out by Marvel has topped Amazon's list of best-selling graphic novels. It's not even out yet. It comes out next week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it must be pre-orders. Yep. Well, the first the first volume is out, and then pre-orders of the second volume are number five on Marvel's top list. So <laughs> three. <laughs> so so I think I think that's really cool. But of course, that ties into some really uh, bad news, which is that. Uh, the book was actually canceled. Uh, Mockingbird was canceled with issue number eight. And there's been quite a bit of controversy surrounding issue number eight uh, because of the cover of the series, which many people won't even know this, but it's actually a variant cover, uh, which has um, Mockingbird on it wearing a T-shirt that says, Ask Me About My Feminist Agenda. A lot of people uh, were very unhappy about that. Uh, which led to a lot of harassment on Twitter that writer Chelsea Kane had to uh, endure. And unfortunately, she made the decision to leave Twitter. Um, so obviously, that's a big deal. And we're going to dissect that right now. Um, Jess, why don't you kind of lead us and guide us on this uh, subject and just give us your thoughts about that? Yeah, I'm so disgusted with everything that's happened. And have you seen some of the comments? Yeah. That's just like, women shouldn't be in comics. They don't know how to make it sexy for the male audience. That's the only audience they need. And it genuinely makes me go crazy. I'm just like, what world do you live in that you think that that's how it works? And it's, uh, yeah, I'm I'm so angry about it. Well, yeah. I've, seen it, I've, I've seen it boiled down to, like, Trump supporters versus Hillary. Yeah. Well, this is all Hillary's fault. 
<laughs> like, that's interesting. Of course it is. What a time to be alive, guys. I yep. just like white, white comic book fan, white dude comic book fans will get upset about the littlest thing. I had no idea that was even a, a variant cover. Like I thought that was the whole cover. Right. Yeah. Same here. I think that's that's why I was like laughing during the beginning when Sean was telling the news because like that to me is the beautiful irony of this is like if all those fuckboys would have just not said anything, this book probably wouldn't be on the top of the best selling list yeah, right now. Exactly. So it's like, oh, there you go, guys. <laughs> Absolutely. And it goes back to what I was saying about the fuck you. It wasn't done as that, but now it's become that because it's on the top sellers. Right. Yeah. Because it's a. It's a feminist kind of solidarity. Everyone's like, yeah, I'm going to buy it. I wouldn't have, but now I am. Right. Yeah. It's like, I, you know, I honestly probably wouldn't. I would have assumed that Mockingbird had an ongoing series because she's a relevant character, but I wasn't even really like aware of this title, you know, like in a major way until this was, you know, in the news and now it's a bestseller. Yeah. <laughs> they'll same. probably even, they'll probably even uncancel it. Like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> How funny would that be? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, obviously this kind of behavior is just disgusting, you know? I, I think, like, we can all agree on that. Um, this is the kind of stuff that, like, honestly, like, makes me embarrassed to be, like, a fan of comic books. Like, when I see this kind of behavior from people that, um, I would like to call my peers, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. And, uh, I, I, it's, it's embarrassing. It really is. It makes us look like a bunch of fucking, you know, stereotypes. Wrong. A bunch of angry nerds in basements or whatever, you know? And, like... Wrong. 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 <laughs> but uh you know i think the thing the thing that gets me the most is i i hate whenever somebody quits twitter uh due to harassment yeah. Yeah. and it's not like i totally understand uh chelsea's desire to do so i i don't blame her um but i do i kind of feel like it's one of those things is like you kind of let the terrorists win Yep. You know, you let them bully you off of Twitter and like, I would, per maybe, maybe she comes back at some point, something like that. Maybe she just needed a break from, from it. I totally understand. Again, I don't criticize her decision to do so. Um, but I wish that, that that hadn't been the case because, you know, I'm sure that that gives them some kind of sense of satisfaction that they were right or whatever, you know, and that they won. And like, it bothers me. It bothers me that this person who just wanted to create something and put it out there, you know, is getting harassed now because they didn't like her art. You know, it's like, grow the fuck up. If you don't like it, don't buy it. Speak with your wallet. I mean, you got a bunch of real poopy people on the internet that are chauvinistic dickwads, but I think to the point Jess was making, despite the fact that she was felt felt forced to deactivate and delete her Twitter, there's a strong sense of solidarity in the fact that people are buying the book on Amazon and on other platforms because I think... Even though you have very loud people in the minority being uh, real smegma, you have a lot of other people out there who are going way out of their way to support something that is art. Well, and so much, so much of the reason, too, was that like it wasn't just because of all the harassment that she quit. It was that so much of the narrative of what actually happened was why she quit. Like. She she was saying she had gotten some backlash for the issue and then, like, went to bed. And the next morning, it was just completely blown out of control. Uh, she had, you know, hundreds of thousands of 
mentions and you know people were talking about mockingbird and and the story was just completely out of control and she had no part in it and that's not what she wanted uh for that situation at all i'm sure marvel's happy though they like any attention i i actually gotta disagree with that man i feel that this makes comic books look really bad uh and one exchange over Twitter that I want to point to uh, is between Chelsea Kane and Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, so Chelsea tweeted out the following. My ranting wasn't a plea for affirmation, truly. I'm just done here. I'm amazed at the cruelty comics bring out in people. And Bendis reply, or replied to that and said, it's not comics. And she went on to say to him, yeah, it is. We can talk more in, por- more in person, but yeah, it is. And it's unfortunate that that was her perspective. Um, she has since kind of rescinded that uh, comment. I won't read her entire quote, but I will say that uh, Bendis received a lot of flack for quote-unquote mansplaining. Uh, and she came to his defense uh, because they are friends. And he's been a mentor to her. Um, and uh, she said... I thought his tweets were supportive and awesome. I went to bed thinking his tweets were supportive and awesome. Somehow, by the time I woke up, a whole other narrative had formed. We were friends talking in the middle of the night, and we were talking like friends. In the sense that we know each other and we've had a larger discussion that provide context for his remarks. He's right, by the way. There are misogynistic twerps in all industries. So I think it's it's important that she... uh, made that distinction but the problem is that these sorts of things continue to pop up in comics and i can see how this would turn people away who maybe aren't lifelong fans or maybe are just tired of this kind of thing happening uh especially when it comes to uh women writing comics or uh you know characters in comics that are women um, we talk. We're going to talk a little bit about the Riri Williams situation, but there have just been so many instances of this kind of problem, and I just worry that it's going to negatively affect the industry. Maybe long term, but the thing is, at least short term, and it's like completely indicative in the sales. It's this is another headline in the comic book industry, like so many others. Now, obviously, this one is more representative of a negative connotation which may have long-term repercussions and it's something that we don't want associated with the industry but you know whenever something is something that garners um viral news for the industry it is indicative of sales and any kind of headline whether it's a positive or negative more often a negative headline is going to achieve more viral news and clicks than positive news because people are more into scandals uh you see it on Amazon of how this is selling, people are buying the book. And I think that is indicative of the fact that even though it's a bad thing, I think Marvel's probably happy because it's increasing sales of a book that probably wasn't selling as well before. Yeah. But so speaking as a woman in comics, I'm inclined to agree with that because I face this kind of crap every single day. And it's not all of comics, but it is a significant part of it. And part of what I was saying of going back to this fuck you thing is the reason why it's big news when all women work on a show or whatever is because it the underlying current is so negative that when something good happens, it's big news. And like I was saying, it shouldn't be. 
that should just be how the industry is. And it's not. I mean, every day, if I have a woman on a cover, I'm told that she needs to be more naked. Like, and it's no offense to you guys, but you don't see that unless you are a woman working in the industry. No, and it's totally to say, true. It's not my colleagues. All of us are on the same page. It's the more the management who are saying this is what sells the comics. Yeah. And going back to to the point of sales, does it really matter to poor Chelsea, who's had all this? Yes, it's solidarity, but sales don't translate to her. She, I assume she doesn't get the money for it. She'll get a cut, yeah. and she'll get the cut for her cover, but that doesn't matter to her. Like, yes, it shows solidarity. The only positive that I think might come out of it is to Phil's point is, like, hopefully this will mean she'll get more work. It's like her name is now more relevant. So, like, for all the crap she's going to go through, hopefully it'll translate to maybe at least some positivity for her career, even if it did come from this negative the thing. thing. is, The thing is that she's actually already famous for writing books. She's a novelist. So they brought her in to provide a different perspective and to bring in kind of a superstar writer from another oh, okay. medium. And her her point when she said uh, that it is all comics is that her experience outside of comics has been different than in comics. Yeah. So I think okay. that speaks to Jess's point. I don't want to misassociate what I was saying either. I'm not saying that sales correlates with a net positive experience of this. It's, I'm just saying that Marvel, I don't think, is unhappy because they just care about money but to sean's point in the long term it might be a detriment because again we're talking about women readers and women writers and women artists who may not feel interested in working in the industry because of incidents like this yeah i think that's the bigger issue is um and i think that's something that you see uh to to like kind of i guess add an addendum to her statement i don't even i don't think it's comic specifically as much as it hurts me to say it i think it's just like it's, it's nerd culture. It's like fandom, you know? It's like, I think for a long time, it's been perceived as a boys club and there is a huge segment of uh, of fans that want to keep it that way, you know? And, and want it to be, um, yeah, I, there's no other way to say it. They want it to be a boys club. They want it to be a white boys club, even more more importantly. Um, and like, I, I think the thing that's so shitty when something like this happens is that I think it probably does discourage women from like taking an interest in like working in comics or like even like maybe taking an interest in comics because it's like you know I've never had to like deal with the crap of like going to a comic book store as a woman and being like oh like did your boyfriend get you into comics you know or like something like that and it's like that's fucking insulting as hell you know to like immediately have your you know your ownership of of something that you really like or something that's a part of your identity or of your life to be like you know that it's like it's it's not of your own volition that you there's no way that you could you know be interested in this hobby unless some fucking dude got you turned on to it i think you know? that happens with women in general with pretty much any kind of interest that is outside of the gender norm so i mean if you're a sports fan and you're a woman people ask oh did your dad get you into this it's a lot of male association whereas if you're a kid you're asked how did you get into this kind of thing well, that's a good like, point as a male kid, but it's like kind of a combination of, of infantilizing women and also just treating them like children or less than men because only men can have these interests. It's fucking embarrassing. Yeah. 
it is embarrassing. Uh, to to Jess's point before too, like the idea that like that this that there are like the so called suits as we've talked about who are like, oh yeah, no, like we need naked women in ridiculous positions. Like that's what's going to sell a comic book, and it's like that's insulting to me as a fan that yeah. you think that like that is what's going to make me pick up a book. You know, it's like. If I want to look at naked women, I will look at porn. You know, it's like I want to buy a comic book. You know, like I want like a fucking story. But it makes me wonder, unfortunately, since we're talking about this nerd culture and the associations with them, do covers that have more um, like revealing looking women sell more than non revealing women? I mean, that must be part of the part of the business model, which unfortunately continues to reflect poorly on the collective fan base. I mean, I'm sure that that's true to a degree, but, like, there's so much, like, data that skew- – I wish Marco was here for this. He'd get a boner talking about numbers. Um, there's so many factors that skew that. I was going to say Marco would probably know the answer, too. Right, yeah. I think I, I think it's probably true that covers with women who are uh, less clothed or in weird positions – do sell more. I think it. I think it's probably fair to say that that's the case. But I don't think that that's ultimately what matters because, at the end of the day, there's a responsibility on the part of the publisher to sort of do the right thing. And it's not to me. It's not that you can never have a cover with a woman that looks sexy because the reality is that um, comic book characters are idealized versions of human beings, right? Uh, but I don't think that you need to go above and beyond. There was an issue recently with uh, Greg Rucka, and uh, on his on his Wonder Woman book, uh, I, I someone help me out here. Who was drawing the covers of the Wonder Woman series? Oh, Frank Cho. It was Frank Cho. Thank you. And uh, Greg Rucka and Frank Cho had several disputes about Frank's design choices for the covers because he felt that Frank was going too far with some of the sort of nudity and showing too much skin. Wonder Woman is a sexy character, right? I think I think that's fair to say. Uh, but you don't have to, you know, go above and beyond to kind of sexualize her more than she already is just to sell a cover. Fr- Frank Cho came under a lot of fire the last year uh, over controversial covers, and uh, he was very much just like, well, fuck it, I'm just going to keep doing these very sexy covers, and I'm going to make fun of people that criticize me. <laughs> Um, I do want to respond to something that Sean said. Uh, I do think that, um, there is a slight issue with the notion of the whole idealized form argument, I think in comics is something that like I had women point out to me is that like, while like the, the way that these women are like quote unquote idealized is a way that like serves like male readers who want to objectify women. You know, it's like, whereas, like, when you see a male character in a comic, they're not um, idealized or sexualized in a way to appeal to female readers. They're done in a way to appeal to a male power fantasy. Yeah. So I don't I really don't think they're they're quite equivalent um, because, like, and I'm not disagreeing with you that the idea that, like, that no woman in a comic should ever be sexy or anything like that. Because, like, there are characters where sexuality is a part of their character. Like, if you have a femme fatale character like Black Widow... It makes sense for her to be portrayed, um, you know, like, I guess, sexily to a certain degree. Um, But I don't think that needs to be the case either. And I don't think that that's an excuse that we should lean on. To me, comics isn't an idealized version. It's almost what you can see yourself in. 
So I remember as a kid reading stuff, what I wanted to read is things I could identify with. And as a kid, reading female superheroes that with these sexy, scantily clad beings of in the ether somewhere, I just didn't want to read them. If you see what I mean, like it just kind of that really turns me off a comic. I want to read something that I can relate with to. Well, one thing I think of is uh, there's a lot of women that struggle getting into Batman, from my experience of like people I know, and. Batman to me has always represented a kind of a male power fantasy and in a lot of ways he's like a James Bond because he has all these femme fatales who are just all over him and I can't imagine that being appealing for a woman reader yeah exactly um I think like the issue that I see too right is that like to your point about like creating characters that um that the reader can relate to like it seems like in a lot of at least traditional big two stuff like male male characters male heroes like are being portrayed as like the best and most important thing that like you can do is like be a hero and like there's so much of like just this like air of like needless sexuality around like every female character it's like she's either a plot device as a love interest or a woman that like is getting male gaze projected on her through the art that it's like it doesn't feel like at least traditionally, I do think we're seeing a shift there, but like that the best thing that a, a female character can even aspire, aspire to is like being sexy, you know, it's being a sex symbol. And like, I think that's super problematic. Like I, I understand why that would like turn women off to comic books. Cause like, what is there for you there? It's not, it's not being written for you. All right. I have a question. So, uh, we talked about more, uh, we talked about Wonder Woman before with Greg Rucka and, um, one thing I think is interesting with Wonder Woman is when you look back to the character's origins, uh, back in 1939-1940, uh, she was created by a guy named William Marston and his wife, who were both psychology professors. Um, they were both very, very progressive for the late 30s, early 40s, and that they- See, also kinky. Very kinky is what I'm getting at. They were really into bondage stuff, and they were both entrenched in a menage a trois. Uh, In fact, one woman's design is based off the third person in that menage a trois who is one of their students. (laughs) So, but my question is, her origins are like inherently and intrinsically sexual in nature because they they were, she was... She came from uh, these two very kinky, far-out birds who uh, were into that kind of thing. And uh, now my question is, there's been a lot of incarnations and imaginings of Wonder Woman. In the 60s, she was a mod, and at one point in the 50s, she was just this this girl who was chasing Steve Trevor, a conservative 50s idealized woman. Now my question is, uh, is it acceptable for Wonder Woman to be like a sexual because uh, 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 a lot of DC characters are kind of archetypical. Is it okay for Wonder Woman to be this kind of archetype of of femininity or se- or like sex? I don't know. I think comic characters have always got to evolve with the times that they live in. So, yeah, she might have been sexual at the start, but that doesn't mean she has to be that model to kids now. She can be whatever she wants to be in this society. I also think that, like, there's a difference between a character, like, being sexual and being sexualized. You know, it's like, she can, 
like the character's roots in in BDSM culture and and um, and I guess kind of challenge, challenging sexual norms of the time uh, was pretty progressive then. Like in a lot of ways, like she was a feminist character at the time, you know. And I think like it's easy to look at those things and be like, oh, like her roots are in sexuality, so it's okay for her to be sexualized. But like, there's a difference between her owning her sexuality in a way that is true to women versus a way that serves male readers to like, you know, tantalize them or whatever, you know? And I think that's a really important distinction. Yeah. And I think it, it it's a hard line for a creator to walk, especially, you know, especially a creator who, you know, and not to put Frank Cho on blast or anything, but a creator who has sort of made his career on, uh, being titillating right um, yeah and <laughs> but yeah and that's the difference is it's yours um and that's sort of like if it were still wonder woman's it wouldn't be an issue but the fact that it's frank chose or anyone else's you know um that 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 makes it wholly different and gross who says i can't ask hard-hitting questions i I uh before we move on I also want to point out in fairness to Frank that his covers were also variant covers so people didn't have to put pick them up if they didn't want to uh and I think that I I think that comic books are moving in a better in a better direction when it comes to this there's still a lot of work to do um but I think comics should be made for everyone ultimately every kind of person uh, and I'm, I'm very happy with some of the stuff that's being done. And to end this uh, piece of this segment on a positive note, um, Chelsea Kane did say uh, in response to her quitting Twitter that comic comics readers are 99% the best people you'd ever want to meet. The other 1% can be really mean. And the reason why I wanted to highlight that is because as much as people rag on comics and comic book fans, uh, there are a lot of great people who read comics and support comics and create comics. And I want to see those people sort of highlighted because for every douchebag on Twitter, there are so many more people who are being so supportive and want to see comics become more diverse in every way and want to see women creators jump into comics because comics are better when everyone is working on them and everyone's voice is being heard. I think I think you're right. I think I think comics I think people on the internet are a fractionalized percent of the people that actually enjoy comics and it's just because they're on the internet those are the vocalized. Yeah, no, I think it's totally an issue of a vocal minority or a silent yeah. majority is even the bigger issue is like I think that like think of how many times, you know, like like this this story for example, right? Like this happened and we're all here sitting here talking about how we support Chelsea and this, this is like terrible behavior. And it's like, you know, none of us who are these people who are not spewing this hate probably went and commented or tweeted her or any of those things. It's, it's the crazy fucking person with a knife to twist or, you know, whatever that is going to go and do that. They're the ones who are motivated because their, their lives are so empty, frankly, you know? And it's like, I think it's important to note uh, to Sean's point, like that there are, hundreds if not thousands of us who are not like that who are just not taking the time to be monsters absolutely and i think i think maybe like this you know could be uh an opportunity for us to all recognize that too and also i've actually been going out of my way 
uh, on the internet to be a more engaged consumer with content creators that I support uh, just to make, cause I know that, they, that that matters to them. You know, it's like, even if it is this small percentage, like she left Twitter because of that harassment. And, you know, I think it's really easy to leave a positive comment and say, you know, I really appreciate your work. You know, you impacted me positively and they might not respond to all those messages, but they read them and they, they do impact them. So I do think, uh, that's my PSA for the day is go say, go say something nice to a creator that you admire. Just be careful. It's almost Halloween. So all these spooky monsters on Twitter are out in full force. (laughs) (laughs) So lots of trolls coming out from under the bridge. There is a, there is a larger conversation. I think, that is coming out of uh, what's happening here and what's kind of been happening. And I think that uh, it's about fandom and it's about entitlement in a lot of ways uh, because there's more access to creators than there ever was before between f- Twitter and Facebook and everything else. It's so easy to reach out to these people and let them know exactly what you think about their work and a very at times you don't even need to be constructive i mean twitter only allows you a certain amount of characters uh there's a lot of room for um misinterpreting what someone says or just going right there and being reductive being reductive yeah just leaving your the most basic thing that comes to your mind and if you're a toxic person it's going to be negative uh so there's just no filter anymore and i think that what we're seeing in a lot of cases is uh creators being under attack Chelsea's a great example, but I think another great example is Nick Spencer and what kind of happened to him as a result of the uh, big uh, reveal in Captain America of Steve Rogers, quote unquote, always having been uh, an undercover Nazi, right? Um, Dan Slott receiving death threats for some of the changes that he made to Spider-Man where Dr. Octopus took over as the superior spider Well, I mean, those people I can understand. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I jest, I jest, I jest. Do not ever send anyone a death threat. That is not cool. Not That's not righteous behavior, guys. Any attention is good attention short-term for Marvel sales because, like, you know, Spencer and Slot, those books spiked in sales immediately because it got attention and people go out and buy the books because then they're getting actual news coverage it's the same thing like all the time in terms of sales for these companies sure but that doesn't make it right no did you hear my voice i'm like exhausted by it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i think it was bendis who said uh like you know you want to live your life by what these superheroes do but what would captain america do I tell you, he wouldn't go on a on the internet and send a death threat to a comics creator, like right. But yeah, but at the same time, I think there is, a, and and I'm sure in in such a a tight lipped industry that like Marvel and DC, you know that that line that creators have to walk, like that's got to be just insane. You know, it's so much pressure for for like Nick Spencer to you know to ha- to have to deal with that an hour after you know his first issue of captain america comes out like that should be a huge moment for him dude wrote captain america and an hour later he's you know receiving death threats like that's insane um but i hate like, the effect that a- clickbait is having on the industry <laughs> You get so many Fairweather fans who come out of the woodwork just to comment on news. As yeah, a, you know, exactly. it's like people who don't actually like. There really... was some news story that came from that where this 
this war vet of uh, I I think he was from Iraq or something like uh, an Iraq war vet or something. But like he was like, I love Captain America so much. This guy was my hero, and now fuck that guy. Never buy any comics. It was like it was like Captain America was my moral compass, and now I don't have one because Captain America doesn't have one. And it's just like fuck. Why is this getting publicity? Like I fucking hate all of this. His response. I think is also sort of indicative of the the fandom backlash, but it's also, you know, he had a really terse uh, aggro response, I guess. And it was, you know, a lot of fans were really turned off by the whole thing. Like, um, I lost my train of thought. So Jess, as a as a creator yourself, uh, and somebody who I'm sure has had to deal with uh, fans and 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 their reactions to what you do, what's your perspective on how much access fans now have to creators and uh, how critical they can be of the choices that you make as the creator yeah. yourself? Access is totally free now, and you do get the people coming out of the woodwork saying how awful everything is. Um, an interesting point, actually, recently, we just advertised a job for an assistant editor and we advertised it on job sites, comic news sites, and we advertised it through one comic news site that is known for being very critical. We didn't get a single job application through them because obviously they'd rather just talk about how terrible it is rather than make it. So I thought that was a really interesting point of like, oh, you can talk about it, how much better you do, but none of you have actually applied for this job. None of you want to be in that spotlight. But then it can also be a positive thing. Our artist on the 12th, Doctor, is um, Rachel Stop. She is amazing. She's talented. She's wonderful. She's a huge Doctor Who fan herself, and this is a massive honor for her. But she interacts with fans, and she shows pieces of art, and it gets them excited for the book. So I think it can be a positive thing as well. I don't want it to just be a minority who are saying how terrible things are because it can work in a good way too. It can show creators what their fans actually like and what they're enjoying about the book and the art and the writing, which is validation for a lot of creators, I think. And, you know, even for myself, reading reviews of how good something is i'm like yeah okay it is really good it's reaffirming it's nice to know that people enjoy it so what what's your perspective then on fans who take to twitter or take to whatever uh platform it is to sort of decry the work that you do yeah one of those things but they have their right to their opinion and i'm not gonna worry too much about it and there's uh oh dang it why did i speak there's a um, <laughs> there's an old comics creator he worked on swamp thing he helped create wolverine and marco's not here and he's not gonna know <laughs> marco's um, editing this right now in the future and like pulling his hair out screaming yeah screaming the answer uh he uh he, he um God, I hate that I can't come up with his name. It's driving me crazy. Len anyway, Wine? He, um, 
Len Wein. Oh my god, thank you. Len Wein. I'm Len done. Wein, uh he uh he was on the Nerdist Comics panel for a while and uh one of his big things was always that uh one of his big lessons was always that the the um the audience doesn't know what they want. Um and it it's like impossible for them to know until they get it. So at one point he uh, was killing off a love interest and there was this big back- backlash against this love interest being killed and then he saved this love interest and there was this big backlash against that. <laughs> so so I think in the create, you know, it, speaking from like the creative point of view, like there's this line that you have to walk and I, and I imagine it's it's even harder now. Like, you have to be mindful of, like, what the audience wants, but also what they don't know they want. Yeah. Or what they think that they want. I think one of the problems when it comes to how much access fans now have to creators is that uh, in the past, you kind of had to let a story play itself out, right? Uh, when you go to a movie, you can't. I mean, you can walk out if you please, but you can't just immediately let um, Christopher Nolan know that you hate The Dark Knight Rises because it's not over yet. Uh, One of the problems in comics is that, specifically with the Nick Spencer uh, situation, people responded with death threats. And even if we just eliminate all the kind of egregious responses, the negativity surrounding that first issue is coming from people who don't know where the story's going and in many instances don't even know how they got there. So or as a, probably didn't even read it. <laughs> and 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 you're totally right, didn't even read it. So as just a fan, uh it's really sort of frustrating that now creators like what Kale was saying may have to think about, well sh- is this too controversial? Is this a thing I should even do? We all have the capacity to just not buy the book, right? If you if you think it's it's silly or you don't care for it, just don't buy it. I chose to opt out of Spider-Man when Peter Parker was killed and replaced with um, Dr. Octopus. I thought that was silly and it wasn't for me. So I just didn't pick it up. And I think that that's really the best way to kind of voice your concerns or just give it a try. See if it works for you. And if it doesn't, opt out. I think ultimately, I mean, it's kind of like wrestling, Sean, in the sense that if you're getting booed, that's a good thing. If you're getting cheered, that's a good thing. It's the same thing with comics, but if there's no reaction at all, that's a bad thing to these people. That's also true. Yeah, absolutely. Because if, like, Dan Slott's Spider-Man didn't sell because people didn't like it, uh, then it would have ended very quickly. But because people were like, well, what's going to happen next? This is different. It went on and on and on. And we're seeing that with Mockingbird. Like, the book was already canceled. Uh, but now so much more money is going into it because of this controversy. That That's comics, who, baby. That's what I was saying. So to throw another monkey wrench into this, uh, the, the situation with the new Iron Man series that's releasing shortly starring Riri Williams as Iron Man, uh, J. Scott Campbell drew a cover, which uh, I believe was also a variant cover. Uh in which some people feel Riri Williams was portrayed as 
looking uh, far older than the tender age of 15 and being uh, sexualized. The reaction to that cover has been uh, very negative in the sense that people don't want to see a teenage girl portrayed in the light that they feel is uh, sexualized. And the creators have sort of been on the defensive uh, against all these attacks. So this is a situation where a creator is under attack and some might feel rightly so. So I'm interested in getting your, your guys' perspective on this issue. Well, I think to take it back to like what we were just talking about, I do think that like overall increased access to creators is like mostly a, a net positive thing. Uh, to Jess's point, I think like being able to like have that kind of back and forth with your audience um is generally good, but I do think the point that you're making, Sean, about, like, comics kind of happen or should happen in a vacuum. It's like, that's how most art is created. And then, like, you let people respond to it. But, like, I think in, like, this case, it, it is good that there is kind of, like, a platform for people to voice their displeasure with something like this. Um, because I, I do kind of, you know, I, I, I see the I see the backlash here. You know, I think it really makes a lot of sense um, that, like, this is really just kind of not acceptable, you know? And I think, like, there being a place for the community at large to kind of just be like, yeah, like, no, we don't want this. Like, I know you, like, maybe you at the suits up top think we need this to sell this book. But, like, I don't want a naked or half-naked teenage girl on the cover of a book I'm trying to buy. Yeah, to be clear, this uh, this character is a, a 15-year-old uh, black girl, uh, who, while, while I guess I, I wouldn't say the, the cover is particularly revealing or anything, it is, she does seem to be drawn older, and, like, I've even seen it said that she looks, uh, like she has lighter skin than is originally intended. I don't know about that, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the 15-year-old pinup girl doesn't it's just not a good look sit sit it doesn't sit well yeah and the fact of she is 15 that is not just morally wrong that's illegal to show her sexualized and you're right about having this platform to speak out when something is wrong we should be able to do that otherwise you're going back to everything is sexualized and no one's entitled to an opinion so apart the from the white guys that want it Right, and they're just like, oh, well, they're buying the book, so obviously having naked women on the cover is what sells it. And it's like, or maybe I just wanted to read Iron Man. <laughs> Speaking of which, does anyone else think it's weird that the book is still called Iron Man? And it's like, it's a woman now? Just me? <laughs> well, it's already been an Iron Woman. That's a good point, yeah. Was was Pepper Potts called Iron Woman? She was called Rescue. She was called Rescue. Rescue. Oh, yeah, no, you're right, it was. Run, she was Rescue. Yeah. And uh, Riri Williams' portrayal of quote-unquote Iron Man is called Iron Heart. But I think we can all acknowledge pretty easily that a book called Iron Heart is not going to sell as well as a book oh, called yeah. Iron Man. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just kind of weird. Yeah. I don't know. It's not, a, it's, it's not a great name. I mean, let's just put that out there. Iron Heart? Yeah, it kind of sucks. Uh, maybe, maybe her heart's made out of iron. I feel like that's another Frozen restaurant. <laughs> Let it go. God. Oh no, it was, it was called Frozen Heart. That's what it was. I want to I share something with you guys really quick and to everyone that's listening. Uh, Sean, really are you going to build a snowman? No, uh, definitely not. Uh, I want you to look at the, the image 
that appears in this uh, link that I'm about to send you. And I want you to tell me if on this uh, cover, Riri Williams looks like a 15-year-old girl. Also, um, just for all you pal- little little pals at home, um, there all of the links for everything we talk about, all the, the sources that we say will be in the, de- the description below for you to check out if you'd like to do a little bit of further reading yourself. So if you guys could just quickly look at that and let me know what you think there. This is this is the J. Scott Campbell cover. No, this what I just linked the first the very first image is yeah that's from the A cover. Yes, yeah, that's the yeah. isn't that the cover of her number one? The 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 main image, yeah, yeah, like the, the it's like not the actual full image, but the the thing at the top with like like the the man in the suit behind her or whatever. Do, do you guys think she looks fifteen on that cover? No, not at all. Do you guys have a problem with how she looks on that cover? I think it's important to note that we don't have access to the full image, so I can't like I remember this cover, but I don't fully remember like what her midriff to bottom area looks like. If but the, if the argument is she doesn't look like a a fifteen year old, then yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, that that one is also an issue. Yeah. Okay. So looking at this, right, I think I think there is kind of a problem here. She definitely looks older than the age of fifteen. There's still like a little bit too much exposed skin. I think it's better because of the way she's posed. Like it's not made yeah. to accentuate her breasts and her hips in the way that the other the other images. Yeah. Um, because like I'm sorry, nobody like stands like that. Yeah, exactly. To me it's a power thing. Because fifteen year old girls these days, I feel like I didn't look like that when I was fifteen. I look like a teenage goth. <laughs> and now there is a lot more of girls look older than they are so i don't think it's a question of that it's she could well be 15 and look older and wear makeup whatever but it's her power stunts in this one she is the power she's the poker sorry (laughs) she is the focus on that cover tony stark is behind her and he's not the focus in that other cover she is in a more submissive pose and she is being looked at rather than having the power of drawing you in, if you see what I mean. And I think I think one of the things that's being lost in this discussion about Riri Williams as a character is that uh, this cover that we're looking at right now accurately reflects the type of person she is because she's extremely intelligent. Uh, she kind of fends for herself. She she's kind she kind of is an older soul in the sense that uh you know she she's she does her own thing right she and i and i think a lot of the people who are criticizing or well the the criticism of the other cover is more accurate but in in the in the conversation about how she looks i think Jess, you really hit the nail on the head in that a lot of uh teenage girls do do look slightly older um than 15 these days but the power stance that she's in on this cover uh, makes it a lot more palatable. Um, so I, th- I think you really, you were spot on there. And, Sorry. you know, this whole rape culture thing that we have right now is, oh, the girl looked older. That is no excuse. You have to take all the facts into account. Just because someone looks older doesn't mean you have the right to do that. Do we know, uh, sorry to jump in here, do we know who that covers by? Not the J. Scott Campbell one, obviously, but the, the other number one. one. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly sure it's Alex Maleev. Um, 
But at, at any rate, I think overall what we're kind of saying here is that context is required uh, to analyze these kinds of situations. I was personally very frustrated by the response to Nick Spencer's Captain America, just because at the end of the day, a lot of the spectators and a lot of the commenters are not actual uh, readers of the books themselves. Uh, a lot of the people talking about this situation regarding uh, uh, Riri Williams don't have all the facts, although the cover that uh, the uh, the variant cover by J. Scott Campbell is it's probably uh, a little too far in terms of how she's being sexualized. The main cover, I think she just looks badass. I think she looks really cool. I mean, this kind of ties together everything we've been saying, you know, like people that are going to be criticizing this stuff, chances aren't even going to read it. And it's just, we talked about this last week a little bit, but you know, at the end of the day, I think people should just be able to tell the stories they want to tell. And I think comics as a medium sometimes moves way too much to the status quo and the static. And so when people have new ideas, whether it's Spider-Man is really Doc Ock or Captain America is a Nazi or diversifying famous IPs with different characters, like, I think that's all fine. You know, just tell new stories and let creatives do their thing. You know, like people just bemoan and bitch on the Internet like crazy just let people tell their stories, and if you really don't like them, just don't read them. I do want to um, throw in a quick qualifier there, though, just because I do think that, like, there's a difference between you not liking the story and wanting to let it play out and there being, like, a piece of art that is, like, I think inherently, like, kind of offensive, you know? And it's like, sure. I don't think you need yeah. to read Iron Man or even, like, be interested in comic books to be like, this is not right. Like, this is this is something that shouldn't be... Um, popularized in this way this this portrayal of a 15 year old girl is just not acceptable no, that's reasonable yeah i mean i think that's different though that's not really a representation of storytelling that's like i think no it is it is very different i do think that there's a lot more validity to the idea of like passersby shouldn't jump in and be like captain america shouldn't be a nazi if they're not really reading the books um i will say though just uh because i i definitely recall being one of the people when that happened who like i was commenting against it and a lot of people came at me, like even Sean included, I remember we had a debate about it. And my issue with it was less so um, the actual like decision to do that as a, as a plot device, but the way that they handled it and that it was done to, to the point you were making earlier, Phil, to create a controversy and sell an issue. The fact that that information was found out in Time Magazine as opposed to when the issue actually came out uh, is was everything I needed to know about why it was something that I think is like a problem in comics is like, let's do this crazy thing to shake up status quo quo and sell a bunch of number ones and then undo it. That absolutely happens all the time. And the thing is, I don't, I don't think that is necessarily that something that comes from a creative talent though. I don't think they're like, how can we do something that will really shake things up? I think it oftentimes comes from editorial. I won't go into specifics, but I remember I was talking to an author that had to do something like that. And he said, it wasn't my idea. It came from above me. But the product that came from it was still good because the, the, the talent behind it is still good. So even though it's a, it's a clickbait kind of thing that's happening to shake up sales, it doesn't mean that it's intrinsically going to be a bad concept. It's, it's hard for us to speak on whose idea it was, right, in any of these situations. Nick Spencer could have had the idea to say that Captain America was always a Nazi. And uh, he could have done it because there's a there's a compelling story there that he feels the need to tell that, that will add something 
to Captain America's history that will will be important, you know? Um, but because the story hasn't played out, there's no way for us to know. I think what Pete is, is sort of bringing up is a slightly different issue that exists in all of comics, which is, hey, if we don't come out and say, this is why this comic is something you must read, people may not read it. So, you know, they're, they're, they're walking a tightrope where, whereby if you, if you kind of do what they did, which is just come out and say it ahead of time, it could turn people off like what Pete is expressing. But at the same time, people may not buy it if they don't know that they should. Yeah, I think I would just rather see that issue come out, that be revealed and have it be so interesting and engaging that like people like us, the community, like, or like people on podcasts or YouTube or whatever are the ones who come out and be like, this issue is so good. You've got to go read it. Cap is a Nazi. What the fuck? As opposed to them being like making this big press release and having it be this thing where they're like, Oh, like this terrible secret revealed. And it's like, you know, it's like, we all know that that's bullshit. And it's like, it feels pandering. It Like that article was written for all the assholes on Facebook. who are going to share it. That don't read comics, not for us. And like, that bothers me. That is a PR ploy. Didn't that issue curiously sell less well than expected to? Like, uh, I seem to recall that the DC Rebirth issue, like the very first one by Johns and Gary Frank, outsold that even, even though that hasn't been indicative of the of the, the sales, sales trends of Marvel and DC up to that point, because Marvel had been really dominating DC in sales for like three years in a row leading to that point. So, I don't know. I think a lot of people probably just decided to put their money where their mouth was and didn't buy the issue. So uh, I'm really happy that we got to have that discussion. I think it's an important discussion uh, for us to be having um, in the comic book community. Just kind of everything, the bulk of what we've talked about uh, throughout this uh, episode of the show. Um, You know, just just think about what you say before you say it in general. You know, Um, think about how it's going to hit a person. Think about how... Uh, it's going to affect them because at the end of the day, we're all human beings. And whether it's Chelsea Kane or J. Scott Campbell or Nick Spencer or Dan Slott or any of these people, they're creating for us, you know, so always keep that in mind or or whether it's Jess, right? Like they're, you guys are, are creating content for the fans to enjoy. And it's a shame when these people put their best foot forward, even if it's wrongheaded or maybe not considerate of the character or whatever it is, it's a shame that we sort of bring these people down. There's a way to be constructively critical without tearing someone apart. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that there's a person on the other end of that Twitter handle. You know, and like they read that stuff and it, it affects them. And it's like even if they did something that you don't like, um, there is a there's a constructive and uh, kind way to voice that. You don't need to meet, you know, meet it with vitriol. Just don't be a dick, man. Just be, like, a decent person. Like, support people. <laughs> Just be, like, a decent fucking person. So, thank you, Phil, for leaving us on that note. <laughs> uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here. Jess, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was awesome to have you. I think you brought a lot of insight that uh, none of us could have to these topics. Um, and I look forward to picking up some of the books that you've worked on. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. So now, uh, really quick, let's just get into some plugs. Uh, Pete, do you want to start us off? Sure. If you guys want to see more of me, you can follow uh, me on Twitter and Instagram at loud underscore Pete. Uh, you'll find me regularly bitching about um, pop culture or questioning my own existence. 
if you want more content from me, you can come check out my YouTube channel. Uh, Slackandslash.com is our .com. We're Slackandslash on YouTube and everywhere else on the internet. Uh, you can come check out me and some of my other friends uh, play video games. We have a podcast every Monday where we talk about the news and all that kind of stuff. So I'd really appreciate it if you come check it out. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the, the podcast, guys. Thank you for listening, except I don't like any of our listeners. Um, if you like me, though, which you definitely do, because I'm the face that runs the place, you can find me <laughs> You can find me at Cyborg Holiday on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and, you know, I'll gladly let you follow me, but I won't follow you back. Um, Marco. Hi, guys. I'm Marco. Um, you can... I'm releasing a new uh, album with my band Voodoo about Swamp Thing. It's- <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, actually, I would I would like to give a shout out on on Marco's behalf. Um, his other podcast, The Parla Pod, just launched a Patreon this week. So if you guys want to go check What's them out about? and support them on Patreon, it's a podcast all about Swamp Thing. Um, so I'm sure he would appreciate you guys giving uh, giving it a, giving it a, a listen. And uh, make sure you buy and read Swamp Thing comics. Okay. Uh, popcorn kale. Thank you, Marco. Kale, go for it. <laughs> uh, I'll plug myself on Twitter. I'm at Toto in Toe. Uh, I basically retweet a lot of uh, artists that I like and the cool uh, things that they uh, create. Uh, I'm going to plug my comics company, Panels Publishing. Uh, we're a small company uh, that really focuses on uh, publishing new creators and trying to get their uh, foot into the industry uh, you can find us on Facebook at Panels Comics, you can find us on Twitter at Panels Comics with an X uh, and you can find us on Comixology uh, at Panels Publishing Cool, uh, Jess? So my personal Twitter is at GN91 J-I-A-N 91 and we are also on Twitter at Comics Titan, where you can follow all the latest news, interviews, and new releases. Awesome. And can you quickly remind us what books we should be picking up from you guys? You should pick up Doctor Who. There's a really cool Cybermen 50th anniversary. Um, my first book as an editor is called The Chimera Brigade, which is an alternative European history of um, what if... World War One had caused superheroes, what? and World War Two was the direct cause of all the superheroes. That sounds fighting. awesome! Wow, it's really interesting. I'd recommend checking it. Out. Uh, as a reminder, do uh, like, share, and subscribe this if you enjoy it. Um, you know, post it everywhere. Let people know that this is a show that you enjoy. Um, give us a rating on iTunes. Um, whether you like us or don't, let us know what you think. Comment below. Hit us up on Twitter. Have a dialogue with us. Like, let us know your thoughts. Like, we want this show to be a conversation with with you guys, with the community. So, if you have any thoughts on on what we talked about this week, please hit us up and and let us know. And if you do send us questions, we will absolutely answer them. Oh yeah, please email us at um at the or excuse me the comic pals at gmail.com. You'll see that on screen if you're watching on YouTube. If not, it'll be in the text description for the audio listeners. Um, but yeah, please email us at, at, or damn it. I keep doing it like it's Twitter. Please email the comics pals at gmail.com. Thank you. You could tweet at us too. You could tweet at us too. Yeah. On that note, uh, we are the comics pals signing off. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a happy Halloween. Halloween.